Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashams in Johannesburg, South Africa, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we talk about the English PFA Player of the Year award, with the Sajo Mane among the six finalists who deserves to win it. Plus, with the Under-17 Africa Cup of Nations ending in Tanzania this weekend, we have a special report from Dar es Salaam as we hear from Senegal legend El Hadji Jouf on what needs to be done to develop youth football. To have a lot of academic when people can go to the school inside and progress and train well. Of the guys have to go to school. Plus your views on racism in football and we catch up on an exciting week in the English Premier League. But first, uh, this Sunday, the English Professional Footballers Association's Players Player of the Year Award will be handed out in London. Also known as the PFA Player of the Year Award for short, it's the most prestigious in the English Premier League and is voted for by the members of the PFA. That's around 4,000 players in England and in Wales. Africans have won two of the last three awards. Liverpool's Egypt forward Mohamed Salah took it last year and Algeria's Riyad Mahrez won it in 2016 when Leicester were the champions. There's one African on the shortlist this time. That's Liverpool and Senegal forward Sadio Mane. The other players are Manchester City's Bernardo Silva, Raheem Sterling and Sergio Aguero, plus Liverpool defender Virgil van Dijk and Chelsea forward Eden Hazard. So, Stuart, can Mane win it? Sadio Mane has certainly had an excellent season, so far scoring 18 league goals in 32 starts, as well as vital goals in the Champions League. The next month will reveal whether Liverpool can win the Premier League and the Champions League, or indeed neither. But without Mane's goals, they would not have been in contention for either prize. When he signed for Liverpool in 2016... His background was making little impact in the French second division, two seasons in Austria, not one of the stronger leagues, and two decent years at Southampton. And I for one questioned whether he could step up and make the same impact at Liverpool. How wrong I was! This season he scored against Real Madrid, twice against Bayern Munich, and in the quarter-finals of the Champions League against Porto. He certainly done enough to be a contender for Footballer of the Year. Whether he can win it, I'm less sure. And Stuart, what's your assessment of the five others on the shortlist? Most people would have seen Bernardo Silva spending the season on the Manchester City bench. Last season, he started only 15 games and came on as a substitute 20 times. But this season, he's been one of City's best players, starting 27 of 35 league games and has scored six goals. In fact, he's started more games than Leroy Sani and Riyad Mahrez, both of whom I would have expected to be ahead of him in the packing order. Sergio Aguero is 30, but he continues to score goals with great consistency. This season, he's got 19 And assuming he gets another one, that would be 20 Premier League goals five years in succession. He scored hat-tricks against Huddersfield, but also against Chelsea and Arsenal this season. He scored four penalties, but we did mention a week or two back 
that having missed a penalty in the Champions League against Tottenham, that's actually four missed penalties in the Champions League in the past five seasons, which is a record I imagine he'd rather not have. Virgil van Dijk simply looks like the best defender in the world right now, worth every penny of his $90 million transfer fee. He dominates games. He marshals the defence. And when I last saw a figure, he was conceding less than one free kick per game. And he's only had one yellow card in 35 league games. Isn't that incredible for someone whose main job is to tackle? He's also scored eight goals, including a vital one for Liverpool away to Bayern Munich and a last-minute equaliser for Netherlands against Germany. In many ways, I'd love to see him get the award, as normally these awards go to forwards and goal scorers, so it would be nice to recognise brilliant defending for a change. Eden Hazard has played well for Chelsea, who've had a really difficult season, and at times Hazard has looked like a one-man band. And isn't it interesting that he's the only one on the shortlist who is not from Liverpool or Manchester City, which just shows the dominance of the top two. Last week I interviewed the first ever million-pound footballer, Trevor Francis, and I asked him which current player in the Premier League impresses him most. Immediately he replied, Aidan Hazard, adding that he was the third best player in the world behind only Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. But the person that I think will win the award is Raheem Sterling of Manchester City. He's long been a great player, but goal scoring was the missing link. But this year he scored 17 Premier League goals, four in the Champions League and six for England. And that's just taken his game to a new level. He's got speed, dribbling ability, his positional sense and now goal scoring just makes him the most valuable player, arguably, in the Premier League. He's also grown as a person. We reported recently how he had bought 500 tickets for the FA Cup semi-final so that everyone in his old school could attend. And again, on the racism issue, he has spoken out and taken on a leadership role. He will be a worthy player of the year if he wins it. So Stuart then going for Raheem Sterling to win the PFA Player of the Year award. The winner will be announced officially on Sunday evening. Uh, and as you say, Stuart, a great season for Sadio Mane. And while Mohamed Salah won the award last season, is it fair to say that uh, Mane has been better than Salah at Liverpool this season? I think that's perhaps a harsh assessment. Liverpool have been magnificent this season, and it's hard to think of a player who has not performed well. Salah and Mane have scored and created a lot of goals. Last year, Liverpool seemed to rely on Salah. But this year, they're more balanced in attack, so I would be reluctant to choose between the two. Salah is a player who works really hard, and if he's not scored as many as last year, he arguably, through his movement and work, has created space and chances for Sadio Mane to score. So I wouldn't be critical of Salah at all. Yes, no doubt about the huge role played by Mohamed Salah. And uh, Solomon, who do you think should win the award? 
Well, for me, my money is definitely just on the two of the most outstanding players this season. That is uh, Manchester City's uh, Raheem Sterling and also Virgil van Dijk, the defender for Liverpool. I will put my money, Steve, on uh, Virgil van Dijk, <laughs> you know, believe it or not. It's been a while a defender won this award. It's, you have to look at it from a perspective of uh, not just Virgil van Dijk's involvement as a defender, uh, but also his uh, crucial goals for his team. Uh, he's always been outstanding whenever he plays. He's played a lot of games. And also just his presence in the defence of Liverpool has helped them to be the least conceding team in, in the English Premier League. Well, we shall see on Sunday night. Earlier in the week, there were rumours that Virgil van Dijk has won the award. We'll see if that's true. And on social media, we're asking for your thoughts. Who deserves to win the PFA Player of the Year award? So Sunday night, the prestigious award will be handed out in London. Africans have won two of the last three awards. And Liverpool's Sadio Mane is on the shortlist this time. The other players on the six-man shortlist are Manchester City's Bernardo Silva, Raheem Sterling and Sergio Aguero, plus another Liverpool player in defender Virgil van Dijk and Chelsea's Eden Hazard. So who do you think deserves to win it? Give us your thoughts on Facebook. That's on our page, Planet Sport Football Africa. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. You can also listen on our New Look website, that's planetsport.tv. Our other shows are there, that's Planet Sport and the Planet Sport Rugby podcast. Uh, plus, you can read interviews with various sports stars such as Ghana's Christian Achu and Cameroon's Collins Fai. And in the About Us section, there are pictures and profiles of all of the team. That's on our New Look website, planetsport.tv. Now, the Under-17 Africa Cup of Nations ends in Tanzania this weekend, with Guinea playing Cameroon in Sunday's final. Both semi-finals went to penalty shootouts after goalless draws after extra time, as Guinea beat Nigeria and Cameroon beat Angola. Planet Sport Football Africa's and GA Eno is in Tanzania. He sent us this report from Dar es Salaam. Africa's most promising and talented youngsters, drawn from eight countries, have rivaled for continental glory in Tanzania. And while bagging home the trophy seems the ultimate ambition for most of the teams, clinching a World Cup ticket by sailing through to the semis was the prime objective. A goal finally achieved by Cameroon, Angola, Nigeria and Guinea, with all four countries locking down their spot for the football showdown built for Brazil. The lavish football played by some teams and the individual brilliance of several players enticed many reporters covering the event. Osha Kumogisha from Uganda relished watching games during the event. What an amazing tournament. There's a lot of quality from all the players that have played at this tournament. For sure, these were the best teams from the African continent. And you can see from the level of competition and also the games. You know, they're very close games. But for all the talent on the pitch, it was events on the sidelines that made the headlines. Claims that some countries had fielded in over-aged players 
took precedence over the enthralling games. Morocco's FA head and CAF's vice president, Fauzi Legja, accused Cameroon of fielding in overaged players after his country lost one goal to two to the Central Africans. Accusations made despite the fact that Cameroon had a reduced team of 18 players, with three players sidelined after having failed MRI tests. Senegal made the same claims too against Guinea following a loss. Aspersions which didn't seem to find fertile ground, but which have, however, renewed arguments over the weight of MRI scans in youth football tournaments. Satish Seka is a football writer who wasn't impressed with the MRI saga in Tanzania. MRI doesn't say at the age of 17 precisely your bones will fuse and then you will be able to expose anybody. Even the science itself tells you that the fusion can occur anywhere between 16 and 18. The Cameroonians who failed the MRI test this time and also the Tanzanians, they actually had MRI scans done in Turkey just a month ago and they were at stage three or four. Suddenly, in a month, they've reached stage six. How does this happen? This has got to be something to do with the interpretation, and that raises the question of one person's interpretation can say stage four or five, another says six. How do you differentiate between this? Shouldn't there be a right of appeal on this as well? But the age fraud claims also sparked a debate on what could be done to improve the development of youth football on the continent. Former Senegal international El Hajj Diouf, who won the 2001 and 2002 African Best Player Award, knows just what must be done to improve on youth football development on the continent. To have a lot of academic, when people can go to the school inside and progress and train well, of the guys have to go to the school. I left Senegal when I was 15 years to went to social. I used to be at the academy. We got the school, we got everything inside. When we used to don't do well at the school, we don't go to training. They punish us. And it's normal. Each team, like Bordeaux, Marseille, social, have an academy and people have to go inside and to progress. We need to do that for our league. But for four of the countries that have competed in the 2019 on the 17th Afghan, their immediate worry will be that of putting up an honorable performance in Brazil at the World Cup. But for this to happen, Angola's coach Pedro Valdemar Suarez and Nigeria's gaffer Manu Garba have been suggesting what they like to see change as both nations gear up for the planetary football showdown. It's very important that uh, we have... Uh, more competitions because it's playing more and playing more in high level we develop more and if we play more and develop more have a, a more better performance and that one motivate everybody to working and uh, push up everybody my advice try to create better competitions more competitions perhaps local competitions and help because sometimes the problem is financial step by step year by year we will have better players in africa in Nigeria, we have a lot of academies. The only thing we need one is to build more pitches so that the boys can get a good level playing ground. In Africa, it is always difficult. We don't have good pitches. 
That's Nigeria's under-17 coach Manu Gaba before him, Angola's under-17 coach Pedro Valdemar Suarez. Ending that report from Dar es Salaam in Tanzania, coming from Planet Sport Football Africa's and GANO. So the final of the under-17 Africa Cup of Nations this Sunday, Guinea taking on Cameroon. Well, next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, to the CAF Champions League and the first legs of the semi-finals of the 2018-2019 edition are on this weekend. On Friday, the 2017 winners, Widat Casablanca of Morocco, face the 2016 champions, Sundowns of South Africa. Then on Saturday, Esperance of Tunisia, the defending champions, play the 2015 winners, TP Mazembe of DR Congo. Uh, so, Solomon, we've had surprises along the way, but the semi-finals are all big guns. The semis are of the highest quality. The first semi-finals, we have, uh, you know, one-time champion. Uh, they call them the Brazilians. That is Mamilo de Sundowns from South Africa, having defeated the mighty Al-Khali in the quarter-final stage after claiming a 5-1 aggregate victory. We also have, uh, on the other side, uh, Wydad Casablanca. Uh, but if you look at the two teams, where they come from, they all came from uh, the Group A in the Africa Champions League, uh, where the Moroccan side, you know, secured the top spot. The two sides first met in Pretoria, that is in South Africa, and Sundowns claim a 2-1 victory, while Wadat registered a 1-0 win in the return fixture. And I feel both teams would be really be careful against each other because they, they played each other, they know what each other is capable of doing. But for Sundowns themselves, I think they have a lot of beliefs and after scoring five goals against Al-Hali, and, and I feel they're on a roll and they, they could just play anyone and, and get good results against anyone technically and I think they've also mastered uh, playing teams from uh, North Africa and that's going to play to their advantage and another advantage for uh, Sundowns would be getting to play the first leg away from home and play the second leg at home but it's going to be anybody's game but on the other semi-final obviously we have uh, Esperance of Tunisia uh, coming head to head with five-time African champion uh, T.P. Mazembe from the Democratic Republic of Congo. In the 2010 Cup Champions League, uh, the final that is uh, between TP Mazembe and uh, Esperance, it was a 6 1, uh, you know, aggregate win for TP Mazembe, which was their fourth title in the competition and their second in a row. And it has really been a piece of history that. Uh, the Tunisian site had to carry for a long time and they would be looking forward to to really seeing how they can eradicate that. But I feel it's really going to be exciting for football and it's going to be good for football fans also. Right, we'll see. It looks very tight indeed. A fascinating semi-finals in the CAF Champions League with the winners of the past four editions getting through to the final four. Thanks, Solomon. Uh, Next, we turn to social media here on Planet Sport Football Africa. And on last week's show, we looked at racism in football and the recent statement by FIFA president Gianni Infantino urging football bodies, leagues and clubs to apply harsh sanctions and a zero-tolerance approach whenever racism rears its ugly head. There have been lots of cases of racism in the game of late, so we asked, what do you think needs to be done to tackle racism in football, and can it be eradicated? 
On to Facebook first, and Musa Kamara in The Gambia says, I think we should do what the FIFA president said, because racism should have no place in football. White or black is just a colour, and if you are white or black, we are all one people. I think we are one people, but of different colour, says Musa. Cherno Jallo, also in the Gambia, says, No doubt racism is one of the biggest vices in the beautiful game. I believe strong sanctions should be levied on anyone found guilty. On WhatsApp, Getenge Ijat Godfrey in Uganda says, Racism isn't only found in football, it's rampant in all sports and in daily life. I see it as myopic reasoning by anyone discriminating against another based on colour. So my advice to fellow Africans is just keep a deaf ear and a blind eye about anyone discriminating against them because of their skin colour, because in the end the racists will give up. Just as the saying goes, never engage yourself with a fool, says Kitenge Ija. Musa Jaju in the Gambia supports very strong sanctions. Jail anyone involved in it, deduct points from guilty clubs and close their stadiums, says Musa. Andrew Jassy, also in the Gambia, agrees that jail sentences are needed to make any impact. I think to eradicate racism is not going to be easy because it's been there for a very long time, says Andrew. There must be strict laws governing it and anybody found guilty must be dealt with by imprisonment for four years or even more than that. Emma in Ghana also believes that strong action should be taken. Teams whose fans are found guilty of racism must be deducted between 9 and 12 points and forced to play two consecutive home matches in an empty stadium and the fans themselves should be banned for life, says Emma. Amat in the Gambia agrees with FIFA's position of zero tolerance. In my opinion, we have a long way to go in order to tackle racism in football, says Amat, simply because people of the same nation but of different ethnicity can be more racist to each other than to those of different countries. I think FIFA needs to give managers and referees the right to take off any player who's being racially abused. What Gianni Infantino urged about harsh sanctions and a zero-tolerance approach is a good system towards eliminating racism. Thanks for that, Amat. To Sierra Leone now, and Ishmael Saidu Kanu says, I think the action of professional footballers should be to boycott social media for a day. That will send a strong message around the world to end this menace. There should also be life bans for those who might be found wanting for racist chanting during football matches, says Ishmael. And uh, indeed, there was a 24-hour ban of social media recently by some English footballers. Patrick Mwamlima is in Malawi. It's a difficult topic, says Patrick, and a very inhuman practice, but it can be stopped if, and only if, perpetrators are given really stiff punishments. Bolong Baji in the Gambia says racism is a man-made thing which is despicable and incites hatred. Its complete eradication can only happen if everyone accepts that we are all equal. There should be tough punishments for racists, says Bolong. A fine of a quarter of their salaries for two or three years should be considered. Maina Mustafa in Nigeria compares the situation today with that of former years. In years before, it wasn't easy being a player from Africa or a black player in Europe. Now it is changing, so let FIFA try and see if each player is being treated with respect and valued. FIFA should impose harsh sanctions on anyone who doesn't respect the zero-tolerance approach, and those people should face the penalty for the offences that they have committed, says Maina. 
Ebrima Bar in The Gambia says racism has no place in football because football is a game that promotes unity. Therefore, there's nothing like black or white, male or female. Everyone is involved. My suggestion is that anyone found guilty should be banned totally from watching or playing football. Albert Kadzombe in Malawi feels that FIFA should have acted quicker to tackle the problem. The best way to curb racism is to have stiff punishments to the team's supporters that have broken the laws, says Albert. If FIFA had put in place stiff punishments before now, racism would not be happening. Alhaj Ibu in the Gambia says people have to know that we're all human beings. The only differences are our colours and languages. Let us say no to racism. We're all human beings from one God, says Alhaj. Uh, thanks for that. And uh, finally, we always welcome your voice notes uh, from the Gambia. Here's Ebrima Kante. If you can ban an individual of corruption from all football activities for years or for lifetime ban, what of a fan who racially abuse a footballer? Or what of fans who racially abuse another set of fans? I believe the same thing should apply to those people. I think we are equal. And for me, I will never look upon anyone in this world because, as Lucky Dube used to say, we are different colors but one people. Thanks, Ebrima, and that's a great way to sum it up. Apologies if we didn't get to read out your message. Uh, thanks so much for everyone who did uh, get in touch. And a quick update on the racism in football situation. Uh, this week, some of the biggest names in sport uh, got together to call for a fundamental change in how England's football authorities tackle racism and discrimination. Uh, players including Raheem Sterling, Yaya Toure, Vincent Kompany and Wilfred Zaha, uh, plus campaigners and politicians, uh, joined forces to to back a manifesto which aims to address incidents of racism. And one of the points that they call upon is asking authorities to take specific action to ensure that there are more black and minority ethnic people in senior positions in football as they currently fill less than 1% of executive positions in clubs, in leagues and in football bodies across Europe. It also calls for consistent and meaningful sanctions for racist and discriminatory behaviour, as well as for social media and the media to be more responsible in stopping discrimination. So the fight against racism continues. Well, very sad news on Thursday from Eswatini, the country formerly known as Swaziland, as Burundi's Papi Fati collapsed and died while playing for Malanti Chiefs in Eswatini. Fati, who's 28, had been advised to stop playing due to a heart condition back in January. He'd rejected the advice and rejected a heart operation. Uh, he told Kickoff magazine in February that his heart issues were behind him. So very sorry to hear that. Uh, he did play in Burundi's uh, Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers, but uh, sadly uh, won't be at the finals in Egypt as Burundi's Papi Fati passed away. Well, what a week in the English Premier League. Uh, depending which day you're listening to the show, it could be Man City or it could be Liverpool on top with Liverpool against Huddersfield on Friday night. 
Uh, the games are fast running out now, and with Manchester City getting that 2 0 win over Manchester United, uh, that was their hardest remaining game on the run in out of the way. Uh, so, if City win their last three, they will be the champions. Uh, Liverpool fans hoping that Man City will slip up, but uh, can that happen? They play Burnley at home on Sunday, away to Leicester, and then at home to Brighton, who haven't taken a single point off a top six side away from home since they were promoted last year. Uh, but nonetheless, winning three games out of three is not an easy task. Uh, the race for fourth place seems to be one that no one wants to win. Uh, Tottenham's 1-0 victory with a late goal over a shamelessly negative Brighton on Tuesday uh, puts them clear in third on 70 points. Uh, then Chelsea on 67, Arsenal on 66 and Manchester United on 64. And they've been throwing points away. Arsenal back-to-back defeats against Wolves and Crystal Palace. Uh, Chelsea with a frustrating 2-2 midweek draw against Burnley, having lost to Liverpool before that, and two defeats in a row for the troubled Manchester United uh, that lost to Manchester City, and before that a 4-0 hammering to Everton, as it's not looking good right now uh, for Man United. Uh, Man United play Chelsea on Sunday in the big game of the weekend, while Arsenal are away to Leicester. And very much deserving a mention is Southampton striker Shane Long, who scored the fastest goal ever in English Premier League history when he scored after 7.69 seconds in Tuesday's draw at Watford. Well, Long's goal came straight after Watford kicked off as he blocked a clearance before lifting the ball over Ben Foster. And it broke a 19-year-old record held by Tottenham defender Ledley King, uh, who had scored after 9.82 seconds against Bradford. So smashing that at 7.69 seconds, Shane Long scoring for Southampton. Right, that's it for the show as well as the action in the English Premier League then. The final of the Under-17 Africa Cup of Nations on Sunday, Cameroon against Guinea. The first legs of the semi-finals of the CAF Champions League are to look forward to this weekend as well. It's Widat Casablanca of Morocco against Mamelodi Sundowns of South Africa and Esperance of Tunisia versus TP Mazembe of DR Congo. Also the semi-final first legs of the CAF Confederation Cup, CS Faction of Tunisia playing RS Burkhane of Morocco and Zamalek of Egypt taking on Tunisia's Etoile du Sahel. And then after the weekend, UEFA Champions League semi-final first legs on Tuesday and on Wednesday to look forward to. On Tuesday, Tottenham uh, play Ajax and then on Wednesday, Barcelona versus Liverpool. A lot of exciting football coming up. Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solomon Ashams in South Africa and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.